Thanks for downloading this week's Revolution Community Church podcast. We hope you are challenged by this talk and will share it with your family and friends. If this is your first encounter with Revolution, we'll hope you'll come and visit us at our Logansport campus at 3930 East Market Street. Or check us out online at revolutioncc.org. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode at Revolution, where Sundays are a party, where the family gets together and we're always expecting guests. We've got a story for you this morning we're really excited to share with you. So we're going to get lined up. Yeah, so good morning. Good morning. My name is Julie, and I'm excited to welcome to the stage our jail girls. And you might giggle and laugh a little, but this is a title that these women hold very proud, and you're going to hear why in just a moment. So I'm going to introduce them real quick because I love how this story goes. This is Linda Moon, and she served for 15 years in jail ministry. She started when there were four women who were incarcerated here locally, and she has gone in uh, a couple every couple weeks and shared God's word with them. And she hit a point where the person she was serving with was no longer able to serve with her. And so she said, Cindy, Cindy, come help. Like, come into the jail with me. And Cindy didn't know why or what she was going to do, but she said, okay, I'll go. And she went, and she fell in love with this, this way to serve and minister and love on these girls. And then she shared and said, Becky... I want you to come in with me, like think about it. And Becky said, okay, I'll go. Because she told God, I just want to share your word. And so I'll go anywhere. So she went into the jail. And Mary went too. And I'm told Mary's the wild card. So we're going to jump real quick over to Paula. (laughs) And um, Paula is actually Cindy's dental hygienist. Some of you might have seen Paula at a dentist's office. But she was sharing one day what she gets to do as she goes in and talks to these women. And, And afterwards, Paula sent her a message and said, I'm in. I want to go. And so Paula serves with these women. And then finally, we have Connie. And Connie also heard what they were doing and told Cindy, I want to go. And Connie, they told you no, right? The the jail told you no, but you would not take no for an answer. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I went to visit one week, and uh, they told me that I couldn't uh, go in because I wasn't a pastor. And... um, I told them I didn't think that was true, and after a little bit of arguing, the um, guard said, um, well, that's just the way it is. So I went home, was very mad, and decided they weren't going to stop me, so I went online and became a minister. Yes, and now she goes in every single week. Yes, so I love the commitment these women have, and Becky, tell us why... You know, you go in, it's obviously a little overwhelming, and you don't really feel qualified. Why do you go in to speak to these women? Um, when I think about Jesus, and he was going to announce his ministry, um, he grabbed the book of Isaiah, and he turned to chapter 61. He didn't say, hey, I'm here to save the world. But he did say, I'm here to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. And so that's what Jesus did. And as followers of Jesus, that's what we want to do. And, um, you know, you don't have to be in jail to be in bondage. You don't have to be in prison to be captive. But the thing about our Jesus is that even in jail, you can have freedom. And that's the message that we take in every week the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, the freedom that there is in Jesus. And I do want to add one quick thing. When we pray with them, you can just feel the tenderness of Father God's heart for them. 
Uh, when we reach out and hug them and pray for them, uh, the love of God is, is so present there, and we get the joy of sharing that with them. And I imagine that's not something they feel often um, in that space and in, that, uh, in the jail. So, Cindy, um, you said very specifically we tell them about God's love. You guys get to open the Bible with them and share scripture with them and you sing, but very specifically every time, what do you tell these women when you begin? After we introduce ourselves, I just tell them, Jesus loves you over the top, over the moon, back down again. He is so into you, and we're here because we love you too. It's amazing. I love that message. Um, obviously, this is something uh, that, is, that is different, that we don't often see. Um, and oftentimes when we step out to serve, it's when God, God uses those moments to challenge us and to encourage us to grow in our faith. Linda, how has being involved, and you're no longer serving in this ministry. You've moved on to something else, um, but obviously there's women who have taken this. But how did God use that 15 years to grow your faith? Oh, my. I had to be in the Word every day. I had to be ready to answer any questions that would come my way, and they do throw some questions at you. Yeah, and I love it. You guys said you, you're able to speak truth and, and to speak honestly to them, not just scripture truth, but just honest about where they're at and what they're doing. Paula, you also said this has been a big faith builder. You know, you took that step and said, Cindy, I'm in. What came from that that you didn't anticipate? Yeah, it's definitely caused me to be more bold in my faith and to be able to step out and witness to these ladies. That's something I never thought I could do with prison and jail ministry. Um, and that carries over then even into the people that God puts on our path on a daily basis. But it's also changed my heart to realize that all of us have hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and God loves each of us the same. He loves the incarcerated as much as he loves each one of us. Yeah, that truth is so important, important for us to remember. Mary, um, you go in once a week, and you get to, um, well, you go in more than once a week, but specifically once a week to speak to women individually. So share with us a little bit what, what your being there does for these women? How does God use you guys to, to change their lives and to challenge their faith? Well, we always encourage the girls to make better choices when they get out. We tell them we love them, that like Cindy said, that Jesus loves them. And we say, we want to see you outside. We do not want to see you in here again. I go every Monday and then every Wednesday, Connie and I get, have the privilege of going in and speaking to them one-on-one -on -one through the window. And we just encourage them to make better choices, to find a good church group to belong to. We have a lot of life groups here, and without their li our life groups, Brad and I would not have made through a lot of things. Right. So, so you encourage community. You encourage yes. them to find that community. Um, you know, we're talking about being rooted. You encourage them to, to grow roots. And, and we've seen that here at Revolution. We've had women stand on this stage and say, I believe in Christ, and I'm following Christ, because these women shared their love uh, with me because of Christ's love. And so we've seen the fruit of that. And um, Paula, you know, you said that you see that even at Church of the Brethren where you attend, women who come out and they engage in community and even you're connected with um, Celebrate Recovery there. So, uh, you know, it, how does that challenge their growth there? Yeah, and it's really awesome because we're able to give the ladies Bibles when they're in there. We can give them regular um, Bibles or a Celebrate Recovery Bible. Um, and we encourage them to get connected. So we're able to tell them about 
Christian counseling that goes on right here. We're able to tell them about Celebrate Recovery at the Brethren Church. And then when they come on the outside and we can give them a hug on the outside and to see them walk through the waters of baptism, it, it's God just, I think, really just blessing us just to give us that little glimpse of his glory. Yeah, it's so amazing. Um, I love to hear the stories of what's happening. You know, I was talking with them. There's so much more that they could share and want to share. So if you guys, you know, something kind of struck you and you want to know more, or maybe you want to, you're interested in, in sitting there saying like, I don't know, I don't know what I have to offer, but I feel like this is something that I want more information on. They're going to be down here in front after, um, after the service today, and they'd love to share with you the how and the why, and nothing can stop you, right? Because, I mean, Connie went and got her minister's license so that, so that they couldn't tell her no. So I absolutely love that. Can I say one more thing? One, one more. Careful. I will. Um, once you go, you get hooked. You just got to keep going back because these ladies are a blessing. They really are. And, you know, I would encourage anyone to look into the ministry. Awesome. I love that. And so they'll be down here. You guys can talk to them more about that. Um, any questions you have or even, you know, maybe you're already involved serving somewhere and you're thinking like, man, this is such a beautiful group of women who are working together to do this. And, and I don't have that. Cindy, what would you say um, say to that person who's serving and thinking like, I, I wish that there was more. I wish that there were more people willing to do this, to step out and share God in whatever area they're in. Don't be afraid to ask people to join you because like Linda asked me, I had no idea that I would ever be involved in this type of ministry because I had no experience and didn't think I was qualified. So just ask people. Yeah. Awesome. So I just, again, thank you. Let's thank these ladies, these jail girls. Um, they are doing an amazing work. And um, again, they'll be here to share with you, but we're going we're gonna to continue into our final chapter of Colossians this week, chapter 4. And um, they're going to read it on the screen so you can pull out your Bible app or open your Bible to Colossians 4 and read along. Or you can just sit, and I encourage you to pay attention to the words because... In chapter 4, Paul addressed this of how we are to speak and how we are to present God's word to people. And so as you hear that, I want you to think about what these girls just shared and how they're doing that within the Cass County Jail. And I want you to think about how you can and maybe are um, already doing that in your life as we listen to Colossians 4. Colossians 4. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are non-believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Tychidius will give you a full report of how I am getting along. He is a beloved brother and faithful helper who serves with me in the Lord's work. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. I am also sending... Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, one of your own people. He and Tychius will help you in everything that is happening here. 
Articius, who is in prison with me, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God, and what a comfort they have been. Ephorus, a member of your own fellowship and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. He always prays earnestly for you, asking God to make you strong and perfect, fully confident that you are following the whole will of God. I can assure you that he prays hard for you and also believes in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved doctor, sends his greetings, and so does Damas. Please give my greetings to my brothers and sisters of Lacedonia and Nymphia and the church that meets in her house. And say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting, Paul. Remember, my chains, may God's grace be with you. Roots provide nourishment. Roots run deep. Roots keep one stable in any circumstance. Do you have roots? Okay, so this is the final week of this Roots series, as you've been hearing, and this is a series where we're, we're talking about like all about what it looks like to follow Jesus, how to get our roots deeper into him, build our lives on him, as you've been hearing, as, we've been, as we just sang together. Uh, and again, I'll just say this right at the beginning. If you are here and you're not sure about Jesus yet, man, special welcome to you. Like We started Revolution Church so that people that aren't sure about Jesus and that are following Jesus could come together and figure this thing out together. So uh, may, maybe today, may, maybe you've been here for part of this series and with today's content, kind of combining it with the rest Maybe you're ready to kind of take that first step and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and there'll be an opportunity for that at the end. But um, be, before we start unpacking Colossians chapter 4, because as Brownie said, like, we, we've been kind of focusing around this one letter written to a small town church in the city of Colossae. Um, but before we get into that, let me explain why you're wearing this Hawaiian lei. When you walked in, you should have received one of these. Uh, by the way, if the person next to you doesn't have one on, just say, get in the summer spirit. Just tell them real quick if they don't have that lei on. If, if, I mean, if, if there's not one around, then I guess you can't put it on. If you have one, just throw it on for just a couple minutes. We'll take it off here in, here in just a few minutes. It's the first summer, or, or the first Sunday of summer, by the way. So we just wanted to add a little bit to the celebration, to the party atmosphere here by just kind of having all these lays on. But here's the other reason. There's a bigger purpose to the Hawaiian lay. Um, that we, we've been using trees to kind of illustrate different things within this series. So I, I thought, you know, first Sunday of summer... Let's talk about this tree right here. What kind of tree is this? Yes, the palm tree. Yes. This is, this is the tree that officially notifies you that you are on vacation. All right? If you see this, you're not in Indiana any longer, right? And, and doesn't this picture just make sense? I mean, it's just beautiful weather. The sun is shining. Look, look at how clear that water is. I mean, just can you put yourself on this beach? It's beautiful. I mean, especially with wearing this right now, we can kind of find ourselves there. How, how, what, what do you think the temperature is at this beach right now? Just throw out a number. What do you think? 83? I think I heard 90. That's too much. A little bit, yeah, 83 sounds good. But I mean, just this perfect setting, right? Makes so much sense. Here's a picture that does not make sense. 
I mean, you just feel bad for these palm trees, right? Like, what did they do to deserve a life like this? Snow and palm trees, it just doesn't go together. Um, a few summers ago, our family went to Green Bay, Wisconsin for summer vacation, because whenever you think summer break, you think Packer land. So we, but we, there was an indoor water park we stayed at for a few nights. We had a great time. But on our way up to see Aaron Rodgers, we actually stopped in Racine, Wisconsin, which is kind of right between Chicago and uh, Green Bay. Um, it's, it, we, we looked up top beaches on Lake Michigan. This ranked number one, so we were pretty pumped about this. We stopped in Racine, Wisconsin. We were headed toward the beach, and we saw this. There was one lonely palm tree on this Lake Michigan beach. And it gave me the false perception that we were in Daytona Beach momentarily until my body touched the water and I had a reality check. Um, because, I mean, it was freezing, like, like almost literally freezing. And I, I love cold water. I love swimming in Lake Michigan. I love the rush that comes with, you know, when your body enters hypothermic shock. I, I just love that feeling. So I love swimming in Lake Michigan, but this was too cold for me. I, and I'm not like touch the water with your toes and check the temp. I just jumped in. It was freezing. And I asked the lifeguard if he knew what the temperature of the water was. He said 52 degrees. So I just turned around and I gave that palm tree a look like you don't belong here, palm tree. But let me, let me share one more thing and hopefully it kind of brings all this together. Um, I, I read this crazy story this week about this wealthy business guy in Chicago, worked for Discover Card. And he wanted to have a Hawaiian-themed uh, party to kind of kick off summer with some of his friends. So he decked his yard out all in Hawaiian stuff. He's got lays for everybody to wear, grass skirts, Hawaiian shirts. He had like an authentic-looking tiki bar set up in the yard. I mean, he just went all out for this thing. And the day before the party, a flatbed trailer pulled up with eight full-grown palm trees on it, about 20 feet tall each, that were planted in his yard. So, I mean, this was quite the party. I mean, they're serving drinks and coconuts. and I mean, this is the, he's going all out. Here's the crazy thing. By the end of November, all eight palm trees were dead. In five months, a little less than five months, all of them were dead. And I looked it up just for fun, in case anyone wants to do this. Purchasing, shipping, and planting full-grown palm trees in the Midwest costs between $10,000 and $20,000 per palm tree. In case anyone's doing a luau this week and you just wanted to go all out, there you go. But, but why did all eight of these palm trees die in just a few months? Because Chicago is not the right habitat for palm trees, right? Racine, Wisconsin, not the right habitat for palm trees. Unfortunately, Indiana, not the right habitat for palm trees. It's, it, see, roots have to be planted and remain in the right habitat. And, and here's what this biblical author named Job said about this thousands of years ago. He kind of referenced not palm trees, but something else. He says this, can papyrus reeds grow tall without a marsh? Can marsh grass flourish without water? And honestly, I don't really know the answer to these questions because I, I don't really care a whole lot. But I mean, evidently, Job had a, a greener thumb than me. And maybe the, the audience reading this back in the day were like, oh, come on, Job. Of course, papyrus reeds can't grow tall without a marsh. But I, I know the big idea of this verse is to say roots only grow healthy when they remain in the right habitat. 
And you, we can take this off now because we're, do, we're done with palm trees for a little bit. So it's kind of bugging me. So uh, anyway, and I, I, I love that we've had this, this evergreen tree up here for every single week of this series. Because we've, we've used this to, to illustrate all the different things we've talked about in this series. In week one, we referenced this evergreen tree as we talked about a tap root. Because we said pine trees, evergreen trees, they have one main root that grows from the trunk of the tree straight down into the soil. It acts as an anchor for the tree to hold it up against any kind of weather, any kind of elements, all that kind of stuff. And we said we also have a taproot. It is who Jesus says we are. It is our identity. And in Colossians chapter 1, that, it says that we are God's holy people. We kind of broke that down. That is who Jesus says we are. And that's the taproot of our lives. In week two, we, we also use this evergreen tree to illustrate like your, your life has to be planted in the right soil. Like Jeff Moss kind of led us through that week. And I'll never forget, at the end of the talk, he rips the evergreen tree out of this sandy, trash-filled soil, if that's what you want to call it, and he plants it in this nutrient-rich, top, you know, grade-A rural king dirt right here. I mean, it doesn't get better than the dirt he planted this in. So, you, I mean, is your life planted in the right soil? And he talked about Colossians chapter 2 that week. And then last week with Colossians chapter 3, we utilized the evergreen tree again to talk about how you have to abide in the soil, right? Rest and rely on Jesus. Colossians 3, it talks about how to live the new life, or it talks all about what it looks like to live the new life. And then we asked the question, well, how do you do that? And we said, you have to abide in Christ. Rest and rely on Jesus. And we looked at the theme verses again. Let's look at them one more time in this series. Here's the theme verses of the series. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And then let's read this next part together, the highlighted part here. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. So we, we talked about letting your roots grow down into Jesus and connect your life with the source of power, the strength for living the new life, Jesus. And as you're connected in the right soil over time, you start to develop fruit. That's what living the new life is. It's fruit from being connected in Jesus in the right soil over time. Naturally, our lives look different. So again, like this tree, it has a taproot. This tree is planted in the right soil. This tree is staying connected in the right soil. As far as I know, I haven't been checking on it through the week, but it's, I'm, I'm just assuming it's not hopping out of the tote Wednesday afternoons, jamming out in the drum set, and then getting back in before Sunday. It is staying connected in the soil, right? It's abiding. Yet as I was looking at this tree this week, I was starting to notice it's not as green as it was the first week it was up here on this stage. It's actually, like, when you touch it, it's, it feels dry, like really dry. Why is that? This tree is living out the first three weeks of this series, right? It's got a taproot. It's in the soil. It's, it's abiding in the soil, yet it's still struggling. Why? Because this room is not the right habitat for an evergreen tree. It's the same as the palm tree, right? Like, like it hasn't experienced rainfall in weeks. It hasn't seen the sun in over a month. Most of us haven't seen the sun much in over a month. But, but it's a big deal for this tree, right? This tree is not in the right habitat. See, roots must remain in the right habitat for growth. Let's throw that on the screen. Roots must remain in the right habitat 
for growth. Yes, we have to have a tap root that anchor our identity. Yes, we have to be planted in the right soil. Yes, we must remain in that soil, but also we have to remain in the right habitat for growth. Because, see, there's a certain kind of habitat that is right for any kind of plant or any kind of tree to grow. And, and it's the same with Christ followers. They're, like, we have to be rooted in the right habitat. And, and listen, as we go forward with this talk, I, I want to just say this up front. Is I, I'm going to go through a few different things, and they're going to feel like things that we do or things that we engage in or whatever. But it, and it's, going to, it's going to give us the illusion that somehow within these things that we do that we have the ability to grow and change our life. That is not the case at all. Only Jesus can change us. Only Jesus can allow our roots to grow deeper into him. These things we're going to talk about today, they simply align us more with him. They open up our lives to hear more of his voice and what he's saying. They, 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 just, they create space for God to work in our lives. And just as there are four ingredients that make up a healthy habitat for trees, for roots, for plants, uh, air, water, sunlight, and nutrients, I'm going to give us four things today that, that must be in the habitat of a Christ follower if our roots are going to gain, gain health and grow deeper. Four different things. So if you're writing down things, this would be great to, to write down four things from Colossians chapter 4. So hopefully that will help us remember just a little bit. So here's the first part of a healthy habitat for a Christ follower. Private disciplines. When I see someone growing in their faith and getting deeper roots, building a stronger faith, one of the common themes I hear is that they have become intentional with setting aside time alone with God. They've been reading the Bible, doing devotionals, conversing with God through prayer. I think prayer is just it is a huge private discipline that we need to engage with in our life. And I think prayer can be like a misunderstood discipline many times. So I found this really short video online that I think will help kind of set up just a few minutes of us talking about prayer. Let's watch this. What is prayer? Stale tradition. Ritual. A good luck charm. Part of some religious checklist. Done to appease a higher being so we can get what we want. Or at least avoid the lightning bolt. Prayer has been redefined and twisted and confused. But at its essence, prayer is simply talking to God. The God who spoke the universe into creation who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together. This God wants us to talk to him in the vastness of all that exists. He actually cares about us personally, individually. How can we not pray to such a loving God wherever we are? How can we not thank him for what he's done or cry out when we need help? When we need forgiveness, when we're afraid, when we give thanks for our blessing or question where our next meal will come from, why would we live a life apart from him? It's not about formula. How could any posture or well-chosen word impress the author of time and space? It's simple obedience. God has made himself available to us. He wants to hear from us. He wants us to trust in Him, to acknowledge our dependence on Him, to draw near to the one who loved us first. Approaching with confidence 
because Christ has torn away the veil. He's washed away the sin that kept us from his presence. And we live in relationship with our Lord. And so we ask that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. That is prayer. And, and here's what Colossians chapter 4 says about this private discipline of prayer. It says, let, let's actually read the, the red words there. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And devote, that is like intense language. It, it means to give all or a majority of oneself to something. So prayer, it like it's, it's, it's saying it needs to be a priority in our life. It's, it's like an all-in thing. It needs to be consistent. It needs to be daily, hourly, moment by moment that we're engaged in this. And I think that phrase, alert mind, is really important as well because we've all had a conversation with someone that did not have an alert mind, right? And, and like we're talking to them and their mind is on the sports game or whatever else it may be. Like, so we, like prayer is this private discipline of giving God our full attention, knowing that we have God's full attention in, in, in conversation, and maybe you even include a couple other private disciplines within that discipline of prayer. Maybe fasting is something that you engage with at times. Fasting is giving up something in the physical world so our roots can grow deeper in Christ. Or, or silence, solitude. I, I mentioned those words last week. Like prayer is also listening. It's just giving that time for God to speak into our lives. Another discipline uh, oh, actually, let me share about this Newsweek poll that I read. They, Newsweek did this article, and they polled a bunch of people. I think it was over 1,000 people. The, the title of the article was, Is God Listening? And you can actually look it up. You can read the whole thing, Newsweek, Is God Listening? But uh, the, the poll, it, it was really interesting, some of the findings. We'll, th we'll show them on the screen. It said 87% uh, believed, of those who pray, 87% believe that God answers their prayer at least some of the time. But it went a little deeper than that. With people that have a regular prayer discipline, they discovered that even unanswered prayers did not deter people from praying. And here were the statistics on this. Only 13% of those polled declared they had lost faith because their prayer went unanswered. And 85% insisted that they could accept God's failure, and I put quotes around that word failure, to grant their prayers. Here's some of what I thought after reading these stats right here. Could it be that prayer deepens and strengthens our faith to a level where we trust God more than we trust what we're praying about. Like that the private discipline of prayer, it actually does something in us, it builds a trust in us that even trumps our request that we're praying. So when a prayer is unanswered or when God answers differently than we had hoped, like our trust in God is deepened even more. God, I still believe in you. I still believe you're good. I still believe you have a plan. God, thank you for caring for me enough to not give me what I wanted, but to give me what you know I need. Like that prayer deepens our faith more than anything. Look, look at what Jesus says about the private discipline of prayer. And I, I think what he says, it could really be, it, it really relates to every private discipline in many ways. He says this, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in private, there's the word, then your Father who sees everything will reward you. See, God rewards private disciplines. There's a reward to a private prayer life. 
Like, as God answers our prayer, our faith grows. When God doesn't answer our prayer, yet we continue to rely on him, our faith grows. Like, when God speaks through that time, our faith grows. And actually, Revolution Church would not exist, or at least I would not be leading Revolution if it wasn't for the private discipline of prayer. Because it, it was in a moment where I was by myself with God that I felt like he kind of spoke into my heart. Like the, my wife and I, we were supposed to stay here and plant Revolution Church. It was, a, it was a private discipline moment of prayer. God rewards that. God rewards the private devotional discipline. God speaks to us through that. Our faith grows. And this is why I challenged us not just to come on Sundays, but there was a rooted devotional you could do to kind of engage with this series and take a next step. There's something that happens as we do that. This is why Revolution Kids Ministry has a parent group on Facebook that posts all kinds of different private discipline next steps that we can do with our kids. Another private discipline that really deepens our faith and that God rewards is called generosity. See, the reason we encourage giving at Revolution is not to just grow what God is doing through this movement of faith. That's part of the reason. Like, as we bring our resources together, God is making a massive difference in our church, our community, and beyond. But the other reason we challenge individuals to, to be generous is because you're engaging with a private discipline that is going to change your life. This is another reason we don't pass the plate at Revolution. It's not about, like, like passing a plate and, like, I want to make sure the person next to me sees me dropping this in or, what, you know, what would someone think if I don't or what, whatever. Mark 12 talks about that. You can read it later. But it's about the individuals and families that make up this church family obeying God, setting aside a portion of our financial resources to be used in and through the local church. And when we do that, God not only makes a difference in our church, our community, and beyond, he changes our life. And I, this is my personal opinion. I believe the, the private discipline of generosity has the potential to change you more than anything else you'll do in your life. Because it removes the grip money has on us. It removes the trust we have in this physical thing called money, and it helps us rest and rely more on Jesus. It changes our life. That's what, that's what private disciplines do. So again, that's the first part of a healthy habitat, private disciplines. Let me give you another one. Providential relationships. It, it, it seems like as I enter a new season of life and ministry, wh whatever I, I go through, like God brings someone into my life at just the right time to kind of lock arms with him and walk through that season. That's a providential relationship. I believe some of the stories that have been shared on this stage over the last few months, they have been providential for some of you. Because you've heard the story and you've been like, I connect with that story. I'm not alone. I feel like somebody else is going through some stuff I'm going through. Maybe you've even had a conversation after that Sunday morning, talked with them, started to build a relationship. It's been providential. I believe people have met other individuals at just the right moment at Revolution, and it has been providential. It's helped you navigate a very negative situation in your life. They've been like that 911 friend. When you are in a moment of crisis, you call them. Maybe you noticed in the reading this week in Colossians chapter 4 that Brandy did an awesome job with. There were lots of hard names to pronounce, Jewish and Greek names that were hard to pronounce. And some of you are like, how did she get through all those names? Well, here's how I do it. I just say it like, I, like I'm really saying it. I know how to pronounce it. I own it. I have no idea if I'm right most of the time. I just say it. So if you're reading the Bible and you come across hard names, just, just go with it. Whatever comes out is fine. But, but the reason, listen, the reason all those names are mentioned in the chapter is because all of these people that Paul mentions, they fall into this habitat of providential relationships. 
These were individuals that Paul had built relationships with that had helped his roots grow deeper in his faith, that had helped him walk through different things. Let me just read you a few of them, and let, help me out with the highlighted words again. Ready? Aristarchus. I'm just kidding. That's a hard one. I don't have a clue how to pronounce that one. That guy who is in prison with me, Paul says, he sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. And then Jesus, not Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, the one we call Justice, also sends his greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my coworkers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what, look at that, and what a comfort they have been. Paul has been put in prison for his faith in Jesus, and God has sent these people in his life to help him walk through this season. And I hope this never happens, but if I ever get put in prison, and I'm writing a letter to Revolution Church, kind of like Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian Church, I'd say things like this. Send greetings to Ryan, a fellow father in my life group that has challenged me in so many ways to be a better man. Let Brock know how much he's challenged my faith and how proud I am of him and Ashley taking that next step to lead a life group. Express to Mike, John, and Patrick what their friendship means to me. Let Eric and Jeff know that our conversations have shifted my faith and helped me see things so differently. And I, I could just go on and on the rest of the talk today just name-dropping people in this room. Like that God just brings into your life at the right time, the right season, just to help navigate whatever it is you're going through. Providential relationships. And see, we, we want to be so intentional with this at Revolution. I've said it two or three times since we moved into this building. The reason the biggest room in the building is the concourse lobby out there is because the time we spend before and after service is just as important, if not more important, than this time because it gives you an opportunity to connect with someone, to catch up on life a little bit, to, to maybe share some phone numbers, get to like set up a time to have coffee, invite somebody new into your life group. Maybe as relationships start to form out there, maybe a new life group just naturally comes out of that. Like we believe so strongly in providential relationships. And let me drive it home with one more tree illustration. This will be the last tree illustration of the series. This is a redwood tree, or several redwood trees. And I don't know if anybody's been to the habitat where redwood grows in the northwestern part of the United States, but, I mean, these are incredible creations of God. Some of them reach heights of 250 feet tall, massive trees, 15 feet diameter, just huge trees. But the most unique thing about a redwood tree is what's below the surface. They have very shallow root systems, usually only five to six feet deep. But what they lose in depth, they gain in width. Their roots extend up to 100 feet away from the trunk of the tree, often fusing together, intertwining with other redwoods in a group. And they're, because of their extreme height, they're able to stand against pretty much anything because of their roots and how they fuse together. See, and I, I believe this is the power of relationships. This is the power of friendship. This is the power of life groups at Revolution. It is so important to be planted in this habitat of providential relationships. We're better together. Sound good? Here's the third one. Here's the third part of a healthy habitat. Personal ministry. So we got private disciplines, providential relationships, and personal ministry. And of course, we already heard a little bit about this this morning. What an amazing story from the jail gals 
Um, that was just awesome. But, I mean, just like hands-on learning is an amazing way to learn a new skill, a new craft, or whatever, hands-on ministry, serving, giving our life away to others, it is an amazing way for the roots of our, our faith to grow deeper. Because I've heard story after story of people at Revolution like, like, things weren't clicking. Things weren't making sense. You were kind of at a stalemate in your faith until you started to serve, until you started to serve an outreach event here at the church, or maybe you started to use your gifting in worship arts, like what God had given you, you started to use it for other people. You started serving in, in a ministry outside a revolution, inside a revolution, like next gen, like, so, like something started to shift. You started to build relationships as you lived out this personal ministry thing. And Paul, the author of the letter of Colossians, he believed in personal ministry so much that he called somebody out in the fourth chapter in this area. Here's what he says. And say to Archippus, I think I got that right maybe, and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. Think about that. Like, that, be sure. Don't let anything get in the way of you living out the ministry God has put inside of you to live out. Don't get so busy that you can't serve, that you can, like, you're, you're ignoring that thing. It's the first thing that goes many times. Don't get so busy. Like, don't let shame win where it tells you you're not good enough to serve. Like, if you're breathing oxygen, there's a place for you to serve. Like, don't let, don't let someone else in a relationship, an offense that someone causes you, don't let that stop you. Talk to that person. Don't talk about them, talk to them, whether it's the leader or somebody else you're serving with. Don't let anything get in the way of you carrying out that ministry God has given you. And it's not uncommon at Revolution that we, we encourage people to get put into ministry positions before you think you're ready. I mean, people, people say about next gen, like, I hope the kids don't ask me hard Bible questions or I hope my life group doesn't expect me to be a Bible scholar, you know? They don't. If you don't know the answer, don't, just don't say anything. Like, hey, we'll work it out together. We'll talk through it together. We'll work through it together. But when someone moves through those initial fears and still takes a step of personal ministry, of serving, it's like something breaks loose in their faith. And at Revolution, we intentionally err on the side of too fast rather than too slow when it comes to serving. We even have this crazy thing where we want you to belong before you believe. If you're not even a Christ follower, there's a place for you to serve here at Revolution. If you've been following along in the Rooted Devotional, there's so many different things it said. It, it talks about how in our weakness, he is made strong, and, and how if you think you're ready, you're probably not ready. If you're, you, you're thinking you're not ready, you are ready, because that's going to cause you to rest and rely on Jesus even more. And, and when are people really ready for God's call in ministry anyway, right? And I prefer revolution to be full of people that say, I'm not ready, and if God doesn't show up, this will be a disaster. That's when we just lock arms with him. And if you're not serving somewhere at Revolution, man, I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Like, it's so easy to take that next step. There's no doctrine test, you know. Like, just get involved, friends. Like, there's something this does to deepen our faith. It's the habitat. Here's the fourth thing. Last part of a healthy habitat, public worship. All of them start with a P. And this is what we're doing right now. Public worship. Toward the end of Paul's letter to the Colossian church, here's what he says. Please give my greetings to our brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. The church that what? Meets, yes. Meets. This is probably an underground church meeting in this woman's house named Nympha. She's kind of leading this little church or whatever. I mean, they're, they're probably risking persecution and arrest by getting together. 
It's a small group. It's a house, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're probably, they don't have comfy chairs. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have a sound system, but they're still meeting. Friends, it is so important for us to meet, to gather like this. And as our culture gets busier and busier, we have to fight more and more to prioritize this time in our lives. Because our, our culture continues to drift away from this healthy habitat of gathering as the church. It, it seems like, especially in many young families, the first thing that goes as we get busier is this. Like other things just distract us from this. We get too busy. If, if we're not able to attend like an hour a week worship, that means we're too busy. Less than 20% of Americans attend church regularly. That's two times or more a month. You see, listen, and part of the reason that, that this problem has arisen is because, because of the church. Like it's, we, 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 the church has become lifeless. It's all about tradition or whatever, but not here. Okay, we do not just gather for a tradition's sake or to just check the attendance sheet. Here's why we gather. It talks about it in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to that verse there. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And the idea of these verses is the ways to motivate one another and encourage each other is to get together, to, to meet, public worship. And, and man, don't you leave this building on Sundays thinking, man, I needed that. Like, yeah, it was tough to get here, and we had to fight with the kids, and our three-year-old didn't want to get up, didn't want to get dressed, and my goodness, it was a pain, but we got in the car, we made it. You know, I had to, I had to fight with my high schooler because they wanted to sleep in like they usually do on Sunday, but we, we got them up, and we got here, and it was so worth it. And yes, it was tough to prioritize that time among all the other things, all the other options we have on Sunday, work, golf, sleeping in, you know, child athletics, whatever it is, but we prioritized public worship. And it's like I could feel my roots getting a little deeper. In, in the almost nine years we've been doing this revolution thing, I haven't heard this one single time. Now, maybe someone said it behind my back. I just haven't heard it. They haven't said about Sunday, man, that was a waste of time. Because it's not. Like, as we get together, like, something can shift in our lives. Our, our roots can grow deeper. See, we believe public worship has power at revolution. It's not just something where we come together. Like the Holy Spirit meets us in this room and there's something that can happen below the surface that changes our life. Last week, we spent the last 15 minutes of the service resting and relying. We sang these songs and man, I left last week so fired up, I wanted to just punch Satan in the mouth. I, I was just fired up and, and like there were so many things that went, you know, went wrong this last week or whatever, but, but I was able to push through all of it and part of the reason for that was Sunday. I mean, it gives you that strength, that energy, that depth of faith to keep moving forward. And we're going to sing a final song today that maybe it brings the whole series together because maybe what's holding you back is busyness. Maybe what's holding you back is, uh, is some habit, some hang-up. Maybe what's holding you back is fear. And we want to just proclaim this song as a church as we conclude this series that we are not a slave to that thing called fear. And, and as we've learned all this stuff together, Man, that we would just take our one next step, whatever it may be. The prayer room's going to be open. If, if you want to take that step to become a follower of Jesus, man, we'd love to pray with you today. That's to your left over here, my right. But let's just stand together as we conclude this series.
You unravel me with the melody you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. 